All right, I got a true story. Sort of true. A chicken and a pig decided they were going to start a restaurant. So they met one morning and decided that their main specialty was going to be ham and eggs. So they agreed upon this, this menu selection, went home and business the next day. The next morning, the pig had been sitting there at the, the restaurant quite early. And the chicken showed up and said, what are you doing here this long? The pig said, I got a problem with this menu. He said, we're serving ham and eggs. He said, I'm, I'm committed and you're just involved. So how many of us want to be committed today and not just involved, right? All right, huge Julio. I, I needed a Goliath and he volunteered today. So th this is our Goliath today. The Hulk mask, Howie was the Hulk for Halloween. I, I used what I had, just be glad he wasn't a Ninja Turtle or anything like that. Or your image of Goliath would forever be scarred. If you were in our men's meeting, uh, I apologize because you have heard some of this before, but it, man, it's just, it has helped me so much and studying it again has helped me so much that, that we're going to go through it again. Um, anybody know who Stephen Furtick is? Anybody ever heard of him? If you get a chance, listen to some of his stuff. Phenomenal. I got, I got the premise of this idea from him. Was super blessed. Had never heard it like this before. If you've got a Bible, turn to Psalms 57 with me, or we'll put it up on the screen as well. Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me. For in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. Listen to this. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. You see what he was writing just before? He's being pursued. He's got all kinds of stuff going on around him. I will sing and make music. Awake my soul. Awake harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. He's getting up early in the morning. He's going to praise God. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Let's pray for just a moment. Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you are revealing to us and sharing with us. I thank you for pouring your love out on us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The war and the weapon. That psalm was written in a cave by a young man named David. Being pursued by Saul. And it got me to really thinking... Worship. What is worship? See, for so long in my life, my worship has been a reaction. God is good. I worship. I have a good day. I worship. Things are going well in my life. I'm all Chris Tomlin. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. When they're going bad, I'm all Lincoln Park. One step closer to the edge and I'm about to break. You know what I mean? Anybody been there? When things are good, it's easy to praise. It's easy to read. It's easy to get in the Word. But what, would, what happens when everything falls apart and it's midnight 
and we're sitting in the cave, and you can hear your pursuers around you, what happens then? What do we do? What do I do? Can my worship be an action? Can my worship be something I do first? Rod Parsley, a minister, stated, Anyone can sing a tune in the light of noon, but I want a song at midnight. How many of you guys want to be able to sing a song at midnight? When it's the toughest, when you're in the fire. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, I'm going to go through some verses here. If you're taking notes, some of the verses we're not going to put up for time's sake. If you're taking notes, just write them down and look them up later. Definitely worth checking out. How many of you guys have ever been taking notes or started out taking notes and ended up writing your grocery list? (laughs) I've been there. You're like, okay, we've got to go to Walmart and we're done. Or doodling. All right. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, the children of Israel were in battle. God said, send the worshipers first. What? They're in battle. You imagine we're sending troops over to Afghanistan, and on the very first plane that's fixing to land, all of our top 40 singers are on it. Come down. You know what I mean? God is sending the worshipers first. And this is, this is mind-blowing to me, because has anybody ever read The Art of War, or are familiar with that book, The Art of War? It's a pretty cool book. It's written in uh, 5th century B.C., um, a lot of tactics and terrain and just, just really interesting stuff. But if you've ever written that, you will never in any one of those pages find them sending forth singers, them sending forth worshipers. I'm no, no general, no military guy, but it goes against everything I know in battle. I mean, when we were playing war as kids with BB guns, we did that. Don't try it at home. Uh, but if I'd have stood up and started singing first, man, my brothers would have lit me up. So it goes against everything I know to hear that they're sending the worshipers first. Worshipers are going into battle first. That doesn't sound right. That's not rational thinking, is it? Now they're going to get annihilated. But that is not what happens. And I want to tell you something. When you worship in the battle of your life, it will go against everything you know. It will not feel right. It will go against your flesh. It will go against your thoughts. You're going to stand up and try to worship, and your your body's going to be screaming, What are you doing? It's not time to do this now. You need to grumble. You need to complain. You need to try to fix this yourself. Don't give it to God. You've got, you got ways to handle this. It'll go against everything you know. But God is looking for people who will worship Him before the walls fall, before the seas part. When you're in the fiery furnace, when you're in the lion's den, when you're going through your midnight in the cave, that's what God is looking for. Someone who's going to stand and say, God, I worship you. My circumstances don't dictate my love for you. My circumstances don't dictate whether or not I worship you. The outcome of this situation doesn't change the fact that you are my God. Amen? Or Mark did, huge Julio. So we're going to talk about him a little bit. But before we go into David and Goliath's story, has everybody heard, everybody kind of familiar with David and Goliath somewhat? I want to give you the backstory. See, everybody's got a backstory. So when you're sitting next to someone or, or, you know, always try to think of that. Everybody's got a backstory, and it may not be like yours. There's a series of experiences that have gotten them where they are today. The backstory in 1 Samuel 15, we're going to talk about Saul and David. Saul is king. He's in charge. 
Saul was told by God to destroy the Amalekites and everything they had, to destroy every one of them and everything they had, destroy it, completely wipe them out. So Saul goes into battle, and he thinks, ah, man, I I think I know what I want to do here. Saul goes in, and he spares the king alive, and the children take all the spoils, the best of everything. They they go in and pillage and and loot, basically, everything. God was pretty, pretty upset over that. Disobedience. One of the first issues with Saul was disobedience. And I'm going to tell you, I have, in my experience, there's a difference between slipping up, making mistakes, and just willful, continued disobedience against God. I want you to see that. And God cannot promote, cannot honor, cannot bless willful disobedience like that. He can't. He can't use it. It goes against his character. So Saul captured the king. Starts thinking of, I want us to go back to Psalm 57, verse 4, because I want to make a point real quick. If we could pull that up. I am in the midst of lions. What is a family of lions called? Pride. Pride. Isn't that cool? Pride. That is one of the first things that will get you. Pride. Pride. That's what Saul had. Saul thought he knew better than God. Lucifer thought he knew better than God. All throughout history, any time they thought they knew better than God, that's when it happened. 1 Samuel 16. Saul starts to become tormented. He knows he messed up. He knows he's got some problems. And I'm going to tell you something. You know, there, there's several times through these chapters I would read, and an evil spirit was on, the Lord, or was on Saul from the Lord. An evil spirit from the Lord was on Saul. And I did a little research on it, and, and basically this is what, what happens. This is your heart. God is sitting on the throne of your heart. And when you want to allow pride in, pride comes in, sits down. When you want to allow disobedience in, disobedience comes in and sits down. It's going to be followed by unforgiveness, right? Unforgiveness comes in and sits down. And what eventually happens is you're just shoving God out of the way. You only got so much room there, and God is being pushed out of your life. This is what happened with Saul. God is just being just pushed out. He doesn't, and God will give you warnings. He will say in that voice, oh, come on, man. Pick it up. Step it up. You know, you know what we're doing is wrong here. But when you ignore them because of pride, because you think you know best... We think we know best. He will eventually leave you to your own devices because that's what you want. God's a gentleman. He's not going to force himself on you. All right. So, and this is what's cool is, uh, sorry, let me back up just a hair. Saul is tormented um, and Samuel, the prophet, is told by God, I need a new king. I need a new king. Saul's not doing what I needed him to do. I need a new king. So Samuel grabs his horn of oil and goes. He comes to a man named Jesse. Jesse has several sons. And I always kind of picture, I wonder if the sons knew that they were going to be, like, this was going to be their chance to be anointed to be king. You know, I wonder if they're in the background doing knocking out 50 push-ups so they can get all puffed up before they walk through. You know, I'm serious. I wonder if, if God, anybody watch American Idol? 
If God's sitting in, in Samuel's ear like Randy Jackson. So the first son walks through, and as soon as the first son comes out, Samuel's like, oh my, there he is. This is the guy. He's, he's stout. He's good looking. And God says, no, dog. No, dog, that's not him. God says, not him. Because while he may be of good countenance, he may look good, he may be of good stature, he may be built like a tank, you're not looking where I'm looking. God says, I'm looking at the heart. You're looking on the outside. All of the brothers pass through before Samuel. God says, no, not one. And Samuel knows he's there to do a job. So he looks at Jesse and he says, is there anyone else? And Jesse says, well, I got my youngest in a field watching sheep. He said, well, bring, bring him in. And as soon as he comes in, isn't it amazing how God uses the unqualified? How God uses what we think he can't use? That's amazing. So they bring him in, and Samuel knows, oh, man, this is him. God says, this is him. Anoint him. So David, a shepherd, is anointed. Saul's torment keeps growing, to the, even to the point where Saul goes to his servants and says, guys, I'm, I'm losing my mind here. What, what can I do? Music seems to soothe me. So they said, oh, wait a minute, I know a guy. The servant said, I know a guy. I know a guy that's so skillful on the harp when he plays worship songs, it's just beautiful. So Saul says, well, bring him in. So David, anointed to be king now, will come into the palace and play worship on his harp. And while he plays worship on his harp, guess what happens to Saul's torment? It leaves. It leaves. The enemy has to flee when we worship. The enemy has to flee when we worship. There is power in our worship. Now we move on to 1 Samuel 17. Like I said, we're breezing through this. I'm going to get to my points here in just a few minutes. 1 Samuel 17. Goliath. Man, he's big. Huge Julio. He's big. He's intimidating. Goliath comes out and he stands for 40 days. And says, does anyone want to fight me? Y'all are dogs. Y'all can't do this. We're, we are stronger than you. We are more powerful than you. Does anybody want to fight me? If you send one man to fight me and he defeats me, we're done. It says the men were silent in fear. The men were scared to death. Forty days they listened to this. Forty days. And I want to tell you something. Sometimes your battle will preach to you. Sometimes your battle is like Goliath and it's standing there saying, you're not good enough. You messed up last time. You can't do this again. Right? Can't listen to that. Well, there's a young man that happens to hear this named David. I know a guy. Isn't that cool? David hears this and he says, what? You guys are, you guys are letting him talk to you like that? Why has nobody gone forth to fight him? So David goes forth to fight Goliath. And the thing about it is David goes forth with some irrational thinking as well. Things that go against rational thought. David, if I was going to fight a big giant like that, I would want armor, right? Or an armored car. <laughs> so, something. A tank and my brother-in-law. I'd probably want my brother-in-law with me. So, uh, but David's like, this, this armor, it's slowing me down. 
I'm going forth with my God. He's going forth with his God. And he hits the giant in the head. Knocks him down. Cuts his head off with a sword. Goliath is defeated. First Samuel 18. There's a little parade. All the women come out dancing, singing. He's got Goliath's head. And it's a good thing there were no taxidermists back then. That would have been on, his, on, the, on the throne fireplace mantle or something. Uh, so he's got Goliath's head. There's a parade. The women are coming out dancing and singing, saying, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. David, the young guy, just slayed Goliath. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now, when you got pride, it's real easy to get offended. It's real easy to get that pride hurt when somebody says something about you and, and makes it sound like the young, young blood David is a bigger warrior than you. And Saul got mad, got angry. His heart started burning hot. What are they saying? They're saying David's killed ten thousands and I've only killed thousands? What, what is this? Got to watch that. And like I said, when you got pride, guess what follows? Jealousy, unforgiveness. It's just a downward spiral. There's a lot of things that can come into your life with that. Let's turn to 1 Samuel 19, verse 8 through 10. First five words of that. Say it with me. Once more, war broke out. Once more, war broke out. One of the versions I read says, and there was war again. What do you mean there was war again? He just fought Goliath. You mean, you mean that on Monday and Tuesday, I may be in the, the toughest battle I've ever faced. Wednesday, I may get a little bit of a break. And then Thursday morning, I wake up and I'm in it again. There was war again. Fighting all the time. Let me, let me tell you something. I, you will never quit fighting. You will never stop fighting. There will always be battles going on. If David thought he could sit on the beach and drink Coronas, he was wrong. He didn't. David went out and fought the Philistines. He struck them with such force that they fled before him. This is where I want to get in right here. But an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. While David was playing the harp, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. I want to ask you a question. Where was David's hand? On the harp, right? Where was Saul's hand? On the spear. Now, in my military thinking, when the harp is against a spear as weapon choices, which one's going to win? The spear, right? Unless you're really bad on the harp. I mean, I guess you could, I don't know, make somebody miserable. But, but the spear, right? So David's got his hand on his harp. Saul's got his hand on the spear. There's got to be another hand in here somewhere. And this is what I want you to catch. There was another hand in that room. The hand of God. Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear, but David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. 
I want to ask you today, where is your hand? Because it's real easy when we're in these battles to try to fight them ourselves. It's real easy to take up that spear. And I mean, David is a warrior. There's no question about that. And I believe that David's accuracy is pretty good, wouldn't you say? I would say, I would think that David could have probably picked that spear up and ran Saul through with it without any issue at all. But he kept his hand on the harp. He kept his hand, his heart in worship to God and chose not to fight this battle on his own. If you're taking notes, point number one, the biggest battle you will ever face, and I want you to catch this because it's huge. The biggest battle you will ever face is not Goliath. That's it right there. It's yourself. Your own attitudes, like I said, your own flesh, your desires, that's the biggest battle you will face daily. That's it, right there. Psalms 57.4, we talked about it. Pride. Things that, that try to take seed in your life, those are the things that will get you to where you're putting your hand on the spear in battle and not keeping your hand on the harp. To where you're losing track of, man, I need to worship right now. I need to worship God through this. God will bring me through this. Number two, like I said, if you're taking notes, definitely write this down. We do not fight for victory, but from victory. Say that again. We do not fight for victory, but from victory. We are fighting from what's already been done. Do you understand that? We've already gained the ground through Jesus Christ, through what He has done, through His sacrifice. It's already ours. The prize is already ours. So don't concede. Don't give that up. Satan cannot destroy what God has crowned. Amen? Amen. Satan cannot destroy what God has crowned. Satan cannot destroy what God is doing in your life. He cannot. Satan could not destroy David. God had crowned him to be king. Don't live by situation. Live by revelation. Of who he is and what he has done for you. If God is for me, what? Who can be against me? If God is for me, who can be against me? The person you got to watch is yourself. Because you can sabotage yourself quicker than anybody else. Any battle, anything you face. Point number three. Learn to depend, not fight. So many times we take this in our own hands and we try to, try to figure out our way like Saul. Saul is, is going to fight the Amalekites and he's like, well, man, the king, he's kind of cool. You know, we talked a little bit. I think I'm going to keep him alive. And man, he's got some really nice sheep and I like his gold necklace and he's got a new uh, a flat screen TV. So I think I'm going to keep that. And... Uh, you know, just all kinds of stuff like that. So Saul goes in thinking he knows best. He doesn't. 
Depend on God. Don't depend on your thoughts. Your thoughts will tell you, don't praise right now. You should complain. You should grumble. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a little bit of a complainer. A, li- a little bit of what? My wife can tell you. There was this video my daughter sent me the other day because we were sick last week, and it was uh, the man flu thing. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's hilarious. But I get really whiny when I get sick, too. So I don't know... It, So complaining and whining, all kinds of stuff going on. But anyhow, I'll get off track if I keep talking. You watch God, and he will watch the trouble. You watch God, and he will watch the trouble. So many times, you know, we sing that song, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. But we're we're watching everything else going on around us in our life. We're watching all these situations. And man, I'm going to tell you, I'm so cynical, because I'm the type of guy that, If it can break, it will break. If it's not supposed to break, it's still probably going to. That's the way I, I mean, that's the way I look at things. That's the way I see things a lot. And I got to watch myself with that because it's a very negative attitude to have. But we get to looking at our situation and we need to be looking at Jesus, looking at God, keeping our eyes on him, letting him fight those battles. Sometimes we're fighting stuff we've got no business fighting. When we need to be worshiping him, Using worship as our weapon, keeping our hand upon the harp, not trying to fight this herself. Sometimes it's real easy. We got these smartphones now. Does anybody's phone have the panoramic view setting? You know what I'm talking about, where you can just encompass the whole room? We get to we have a tendency to live in what I call a snapshot mode. We will look at one snapshot of our situation and say, where's God at? God's not present. Where's he at in this? You know, I I can think of a man named Joseph in the Bible whose brothers, good guys that they were, (laughs) threw him in a pit and sold him to slavery. And I thought my brothers were mean. Man. (laughs) Threw him in a pit, sold him to slavery. I look at that snapshot and I say, where's God in that? What did Joseph do? He was innocent. Joseph ends up in prison for something he didn't do. I look at that snapshot right there, and I'm like, where is God in that? I don't see God. I can't see God moving through that. Paul and Silas are doing the work of the Lord. They're ministering to people, doing God's work, and they get thrown in prison. Thrown in prison. Where is God in that? And I wonder what my attitude would have been like. I'd have been like, man, I don't think I'm called anymore. I'm serious. I'd have been like, I I think I'm going to give up this missionary thing for a while, Lord. You're not taking care of me. I'm trying to take care of you, but you're not taking care of me. We look at these snapshots and we say, where is God? And I'm going to tell you something else the snapshot mentality will do. When we look at snapshots of our life and other people, there's a real big tendency to label each other. Look at Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. The guy gets the name Doubting Thomas. He just doubted one time. But he's got that label. But we're quick to give labels. Adulterous Annie, Gambling George, Drunken Donald, I don't know. Who knows? Hugh Julio, yeah. Yeah, that's right. We're quick to give labels. But the thing is, we do this to ourselves too. Whether we realize it or not, we're real quick to give labels. What I want us to see is the big picture. 
the panoramic view, the, 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 the picture of everything going on. And when I look at Joseph's life and I take into the fact, yeah, he was thrown into a pit. Yeah, he was thrown into jail. Yeah, he had all this thing going on. But where did he end up? Well, look at what God did through him. Look at David's life. I could look at snapshots. I could even say, man, he's in a cave. God anointed him to be king and he's hiding in a cave from Saul. Where's God in that? God is there. Watch him, not your troubles. One other thing I want to share, and we're going to wrap this up. Sometimes it's okay when we're looking at the, the big picture of our life, it's okay to look back. Because there's, there's times in my life where I needed to look back because sometimes I'd feel like I hadn't moved forward very much, you know? But when I look back, I can see that I used to be here. And now I may be here, and I may have got there like this. But it's okay to look back and see where we've come from and where he has brought us. I want us to understand that worship is a powerful weapon in our arsenal. And it's, it's going to be hard to reach for that because you're going to want to reach for everything in you, everything in you to fight, everything in your power to fight, everything that you can do to change the situation, everything that you think might work. You're going to want to reach for that first. You're going to want to be grabbing for that spear because you know the spear can work. But when we keep our hand on the harp and worship Him and say, God... I praise you in spite of what I'm going through. I praise you because of who you are. See, we let our outcomes determine so much. I, I can't tell you for how many years I would let my situation determine my level of, of commitment to Christ. Not kidding. Let's stand. Everyone would close your eyes. If you're kind of going through a battle right now, if you would just raise your hand. We're going to pray. God is good, isn't he? Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning. God, I thank you for your word going forth. I thank you for the change you're producing in our lives. I thank you for the process we're all going through. I thank you for what you are making us to be, Father. I thank you for giving us the ability to know that we need to keep our hand on the heart, to know that we need to worship you, and not be dependent upon our situation and circumstance and feelings. You are our God. And you have given everything for us and your love is unfailing. God, I pray for the people that lifted their hands today. You just give them strength and wisdom in whatever they're facing. God, be with us this week as we go our separate ways. Help us to keep our eyes on you. In Jesus' name, amen.